are now in um, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. We're going to be going through verses 4 through 11. Pull out your outlines. Ephesians chapter 4, excuse me, 2, verses 4. <clears throat> and I don't know why I said 11, but we're going through verse 2. Chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Paul has already established that this is a book of spiritual blessings. We've, we've noted that there are some uh, scholars, some theologians that have studied the book of Ephesians, called it God's checkbook. It is the book of riches, of blessings that God wants to bestow upon us. And uh, we've even entitled, I've, I've entitled this series of uh, Ephesians, The Riches of God's Grace. And one of the first things that we found is that, that these riches that are in Christ Jesus... They're in Christ Jesus. In Him, we have redemption. In Christ, uh, as a plan for the fullness of time. In Christ, that we might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in Him. And, and he walked us through uh, the, the, the portion of where he says that we were chosen in Him, that we have been redeemed, that we have redemption through His blood of forgiveness and, and the trespasses according to, according to the riches of of his grace. And if we, if we go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, we spent some time on this portion of scripture, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it today. But uh, he says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And if you remember correctly, for those of you that were here, I took us back to Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, it explains to us, the, the golden chain is what they call it, the golden chain of salvation. And how those he foreknew, he also predestined. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also uh, justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And it's a process that God has brought us through. And so one of the things that we try to get across when you, we try to understand the doctrine of grace, and some people call it Calvinism, I call it the doctrine of grace, but the doctrine of grace is what it's saying basically to you, when you are, uh, when God knew you from the foundations of the world, as Paul says here, from the beginning of time, when he, he foreknew you, he had this intimate relationship, he had this knowledge, this, as Abraham knew Sarah, as, uh, as every Old Testament person that gets to know, uh, their, their spouse, one example that I used was when the time that Mary was uh, with child and Joseph found out and he says, you know, I'm going to have to put her away in divorce, but privately, because the Bible says he did not know her. It's not just this knowledge, this cognitive knowledge, but it's this intimate knowledge because he had not known her yet. And the interesting thing is that God has mentioned to us and has told us and He shares with us that He has known you. And Paul says in Ephesians, from the foundations of the world since time began. And because we know this and because we understand this, it ought to give you a hope that in spite of what goes on in this world, in spite of what's happening in the world affairs with China, with Afghanistan, with the United States, with our government, with our state, with our county, with our city, our homes, when you are predestined, when you are elected, when you are uh, just and justified, when you are brought into the sheep that Jesus says you are now part of his fold, when you're brought in, there is nothing that can take that away from you. 
And, and it's the flesh within us that, that holds us down to this earth. And, and Satan works against that and with that. And, and he, he wants to keep us focused on the things that we left behind. And so last week we talked about how we used to be dead. And we were dead in our trespasses in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We were spiritually dead, Paul says. We were a slave to sin, as we talked about last week. We were slaves to sin. We were separated from God. In verse, uh, remember that when you were at that time separated from Christ, we were alienated from commonwealth of Israel and strangers. We were dead. We were lost. We were separated. We were enemies of God. Those are the verbs that are used to describe our previous relationship and why it is that we want to go back there and continue to walk in that in that lifestyle it, it just this is what Paul is saying I can't believe that you have so easily left the gospel of Jesus Christ as we talked about in Galatians Galatians was was a gospel message of the true gospel message nothing else but it's in Christ alone through faith alone uh, and in Christ alone and by grace alone and it's only by grace it's only through faith and it's only in Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Nothing else works. Nothing else helps your salvation. And Paul goes on to say, you know, we were separated. We were, we're spiritually dead. We used to seek the world. In verse 2, in which you used to once walked in, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We used to be sons of disobedience, children of wrath, he says in verse 3, among whom you all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath. And then, God's, and then God says, Paul says in verse 4, and here's where we're going to go from this point forward, but God. Two of the most powerful words in Scripture. Praise God, amen? amen. But God. He goes on to say in verse 4, and I'm going to read through verse 10, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable, immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this portion of scripture. As we dive into this, this portion, Lord, help us to walk in that which you've already prepared for us beforehand from the foundations of the world. Our life is secured. Because this is not of our own doing. Our spiritual life has been already uh, predestined. We already have the likeness of Christ within us. It is this world that holds us down. And I pray that we can uh, remove ourselves from what this world means and the, the, all that it entangles us with so we can run the race with perseverance. Give us direction this morning through your word, Father, as we live this portion out. And I just thank you so much, God. I thank you for this hatheos, but God. Hatheos in Greek, but God. Thank you, Lord, for just loving us that much, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So he describes our spiritual position and where we used to be. We were dead in our trespasses and, and we, were, we were in the world. We were part of the world. We were under Satan's domain and we were living by the flesh according to what the flesh states and how the flesh kind of operates within our life. And the flesh still kind of operates that way within us. You know, temptation, you'll never, ever get rid of that. Temptation will always be there. But you can fight off the temptation. There's no temptation that is common to man. But God is faithful that when you are tempted, He would always provide for you a way out. Always provide for you a way out. And some people have tried to simplify that by saying something to the effect of, God will never put more on you than He's already placed in you. And God places a heavy load on some people, but He knows what you can withstand. Everything that you go through in life is father-filtered. Job, everything he went through was father-filtered. Satan could not do anything to him unless he got, Scott, he got God's approval. And in your life is the same way because you are his child, but he'll use the world to discipline you. He'll use the word to discipline you. He'll use everything around you to discipline you, to get you back on track. He wants you to walk in the steps of good works. This is what we are ultimately to do here on this planet, the good works, so that our good works can shine before men. Let your light shine, Jesus says, so they can praise your father in heaven for the good works that you do. And I'm going to explain this here in just a little bit. Good works don't save you. The grace of God saves you. But the grace of God saves you so that you can do good works. It's not the other way around. Please do not mix that up. How does temptation work, by the way? How does it work in your life? Well, in, in 1 John chapter 2, in the King James Version, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 and on. John talks about, first of all, uh, how we must be born again. You must be born again. And there needs to be evidence of this new birth. And in the book of 1 John, he talks about this is the evidence. You cannot love the world. In 2 John, he starts, he starts to uh, put the application to that. But basically, in 1 John, he says, you cannot love the world. And for all that is in the world, he says, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, if you get this, and this is a little more detailed there than what I'm going to share with you today. But, but I, I can spend a month on every one of these. But, but if you just understand that this is the way Satan works every single time. He'll use the lust of the flesh. What is it that the flesh desires? Well, the flesh desires gratification. The flesh desires everything that's in the world. It wants part of that in my life. What else is it? What else uh, is in the world? Well, the lust of the eye. I see things that I gotta have. It look beautiful. They look great. And, and it looks, it looks like something that I should be able to have. The pride of life. I want to be above and beyond everybody else. As long as I'm better than the person next to me, then I'm good. You know, and, and we stop, gotta stop comparing ourselves to, you know, to the people next to us. We'll say something, something to the effect that, well, at least I'm not like him. <laughs> Nobody's like him. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's about as far as, that's, that's as far as you can go. And what we need to realize is that it's that pride that we have. And that pride that we have causes us to stay away from God. The pride is what gave Satan his boot out of heaven. But, but look at this. Look at this with me. In Luke chapter 4, right after Jesus' baptism, Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. And you know the story well. And, and as he's in the wilderness, the Bible says he was hungry. And that's when the, the, the devil said to him, 
If you are the son of God, if you are saved, if you are really a believer, if you really believe what the Bible says, then test him. Come on, ask him for anything. He should get, didn't he say, just ask in his name and you shall receive it? Oh, what happened? You didn't get it? Well, you see, I told you you weren't a believer. You see, you don't have enough faith. You see, when we take those verses out of context in our study of the fundamentals of uh, faith, we're going through the Bible and, and the various doctrines, and we're, we're showing, I'm showing the, the students on how to work through what's called an eisegesis. Eisegesis is taking out the meaning of not only the verse, but the whole scripture, the whole portion of scripture. What most people do uh, is, is they do exegesis. What they end up doing is they try to add to put into, give to what their pre-knowledge and thoughts are of that verse. But what we need to do is we need to bring out, bring out what's inside the scriptures. And so when we do this, and it's a technical term, but basically the Bible says what it says in its context. And people build doctrines out of one verse. We can go over that many other times. But he says, if you are the son of God, really, he says to him, and this is, this is the appeal to the flesh. Jesus is hungry. He's, he's appealing to the flesh. And he says, turn these, uh, turn these, uh, these stones into bread. And if you remember, the same thing happened to Eve. While she was in the garden, the deceiver came to her and said, look, she saw that the fruit was pleasing for food or good for food. Not that she was hungry. Not that there wasn't enough. Not that they were going to run out. They had plenty. They had every tree to pick from. And the first thing that Satan did to her, he puts doubt in her mind. Did God really say that you cannot touch any tree in the garden? Now, you know that's a setup. Well, well of course, Satan. I mean, we, we can touch other trees if we want. Oh, oh, he plays dumb. Okay, but, but just this one. We're not supposed to even touch it. God never said that. But she adds to Scripture. She adds to the, the word, and sometimes we do the same thing when we fall into the temptations of Satan, subtly causing doubt. She saw that it was good, lust of the flesh. She saw that it was pleasing to the eye, lust of the eyes. Satan takes Jesus up to the, the temple and says, all of this, look at it. Just look at all of this that I own. I'll give it to you if you worship me. I'll get, it's all yours. And what does Jesus say? He says, you know, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And then the pride of life. She saw that the fruit was good for wisdom. You know, the moment you eat that fruit, God knows that the moment you eat it, you're going to be just like Him. Well, I want to be like God. I want to know the secrets of the world. And the same thing happened to Jesus. Throw yourself off this temple and He will command His angels to come and rescue you. You see, this pattern... This pattern happens in your life every single day when you are tempted. And if you know already what's going to happen, Jesus memorized Scripture. In our class, we're teaching people how to memorize Scripture. Very easy mnemonic tools, very, way, very easy ways on how to write things down and, and to memorize verses. Because if Jesus memorized verses and He memorized Scripture, if it was important for Him, it ought to be important for us too, beloved. And so when we are tempted... James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when? By his own evil desires. Lust of the flesh.
by pride of life. He is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. If you're a believer, if you're a genuine believer, and if you have committed your life to Christ, if you've been regenerated, this process happens in your life to pull you back, pull you away. And unfortunately, many of us fall. We fall to that. But that doesn't end it all. It ends your relationship. It ends your fellowship. Excuse me, not your relationship, but your fellowship with God. And you'll you'll be like Adam, hiding, staying away, not wanting to participate You'll end up hiding. And God knows where you are. He doesn't go around saying, hey, where's Sal? I wonder where he's at. And I'll have to tell him, I was hiding. Really? Why were you hiding? There's no reason for him to ask. He knows. And so when we are tempted, we use Scripture to defeat Satan. We're no longer children of wrath. In this, this portion of Scripture, the next few verses, up to 10, Paul is saying this, number one, this, is, this goes in your outlines. Number one, God loves you. God loves you. If you have been redeemed, if you're genuinely saved, if you're His, He loves you. He loved you from the foundations of the world. He's loved you enough to adopt you. I don't know if you remember the process of adoption in the Roman era. It was a very lengthy process. It's a difficult process even now in today's culture to adopt a child. And people want to go in there and take all the kids, but they can't. But they only take the one or the two or maybe even three that they see together. We want, we want these children. And they become a part of your family more so than your natural children. You can always disown your natural children, but you cannot disown your adopted child. And when the, when you understand adoption, you'll understand predestination. You'll understand that God chose you. In a world of people, He chose you. That's how much He loves you. That's how much He cares for you. See, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Paul is reminding the people in Ephesus. He says, God really loves you. You need to know that. And by nature, God is love. You know, but God, God, but God would love even if there was no sinners. He would still love even if there's no one to love. And, and theologians call this love one of God's attributes. And, but God has two kinds of attributes. He has those that he possesses himself, which we call intrinsic uh, attributes, such as life, love, holiness, and those by which he relates to his creation, especially to us, to man. Uh, they're called relative attributes. Again, another pair of words that we're learning in, uh, in our study. For example... Uh, God, by nature, is truth. Okay, it's not something that he just brings up. He's just truth. And when he relates to man through truth, truth becomes faithfulness. God's truth is always true. And because his true and his attribute is his intrinsic value, and he relates to us in faithfulness, God is faithful because he cannot lie. The same thing with holiness. By nature, God is holy. He's separate. And, and it's, the, it's the only word that is used three times in the Old and in the New Times, back to back, holy, holy, holy. It's the only time that it is used. That's the only word. God is love, but you won't see God as love, love, love. And holiness is one of the things that we have to get a hold of, folks. We really have to get a hold of the fact that God is holy. And we cannot be offending a holy God because that's the reason Jesus Christ came, to save us away from that wrath that he's going to unleash on the unholy. He is holy, and his holiness becomes justice. Because he is holy, he has to 
administer justice because he is true, he is faithful, and he is holy. His justice has to be pronounced upon the world. You see, and so in the same thing with love, love, and that's how he relates to us. He relates to us in grace and mercy. God is love, and what he does to the believer as a sinner, he relates to you in grace and mercy. It is by grace that you're saved, and grace by definition cannot be earned. Grace has to be given, has to be restored or bestowed upon you. I mentioned this last week. Very quickly, I'll share it again. And this is a hypothetical, okay? The names of the accused will be held in secret. But imagine you flying down the freeway, doing 80 miles an hour, okay? And, uh, and a police officer pulls you over. And he pulls you over and he writes you a ticket, and the ticket's $360. Just a figure I'm throwing out there, I don't know. Anyways, he writes you a ticket for $360 and he gives it to you. He says, now you have to be here in court and sh- share with the judge as to why you were speeding or pay the fine. He just administered justice because he's the law. And this is what he does. He, he, he writes up the tickets. He administers justice. You break the law. Justice is deserved. Now imagine going down that same freeway, doing the same amount of speed. And the same cop pulls you over and he says, you know, I know you were in a hurry. And I, you know, I believe your, your story, Mr. Martinez. Well, Mr. Martinez, you know, hypothetical. I believe your story. I believe that, that you were not intending to speed that fast. So I'm going to let you go. Okay. See, there was justice that needed to be administered, but he has mercy upon that driver. And he gives the mercy by not giving him the ticket of that which he deserves. Now, grace is this. That same individual driving down the field, pulled over by the same cop, and the cop not only does not give him a ticket, administers no you know, justice, administers mercy, but also says, you know, here, I'm going to give you this. Here's $360. I'm giving them to you. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it, but out of his graciousness, his grace, God gives you eternal life. God gives it to you because of who he is, not because of who you are. He gives it to you because of what he's already established from the very beginning. God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ Pay that price for us in Romans 5, 8. He paid that price. God loved the world so much. The world that is elect. God loves the world and the people that are in it. But the elect that believe in him, those whoever believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. By the way, that verse there is used by a lot of people. It says, well, it says right there, whosoever. Well, I always say, demons believe. <laughs> I don't know if I want to include demons in there also. But number two, let's move on. Number two, God gave you life. Remember last week, remember you were dead, dead, dead in your trespass. You were dead in your trespasses. There's nothing that a dead person can do to ask for life. A person is dead. A person cannot ask to be revived. A person cannot ask for a a cup of water. A, A dead person is gone and dead. A dead person cannot come up to you and say, please administer those defibrillators onto my heart to bring me back to life. From the very beginning, when God created Adam, he molded him out of mud. I like what R.C. Sproul's once said. Somebody asked the question, you know, do we, do we always have to worship God? And he just got mad. He said, what's wrong with you people? He says, we're mud people. We're people made out of mud, dirt. We're nothing. You better worship God or something to that effect. And, and this mud person that God created and built, it had no life. 
And that mud creature could not ask for life until God breathed his spirit into his life. And he does so every single time a person is born again. He's reborn. He's born a second time. He gave you life. When you're genuinely saved, he gives you eternal life. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. Not of your own doing. You were dead. You couldn't ask for life, but he gave it to you. He made us alive even when we were dead in our trespasses. He accomplished the spiritual resurrection by the power of the Spirit using the Word. Hebrews chapter 4 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is, is powerful enough to resurrect a dead person. Powerful enough. In John 5, 24, it says, truly, truly. You know, this is something that you have to pay attention to. Jesus is saying this, you know. He's saying, truly, truly. I'm going to tell you the truth. Now listen to me because I'm telling you the truth. He's basically saying, you know, he'll, he'll speak at, at intervals. He'll, he'll always talk. But when he wants you to get something and he wants you to get it, he says, verily, verily. Truly, truly. Amen, amen. He says, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It's that word that it penetrates the heart. This is why God's word needs to be proclaimed. God's word needs to be preached. God's word needs to enter into the ears of his unregenerated people to regenerate them by his word. You're not going to get saved by my words. I remember a story that once somebody once said, I think Billy Graham said this. He says that he saw this man that came forward and he was all drunk. And oh, Billy Graham, I remember you. You saved me. You saved me years ago. And he says, brother, it must have been me that saved you. Because if Jesus would have saved you, you wouldn't be in that condition. I can't save you. I can't. All I can do is give you the word. And it's the word of God that penetrates the hearts. It's the word of God that goes deep inside the heart. I read this uh, story of this uh, pastor. Maybe some of you guys know uh, who Steve Lawson is. Steve Lawson is talking about this sermon series that he did uh, in 1 John. And he's talking about First John has these nine uh, necessities of the new birth. These nine necessities that you must have. You can't just have three out of, three out of nine or eight out of nine. You got to have all nine of these in order to be saved and know that you're saved. And he, he says that as he preached this sermon that, you know, it, it was hard and heavy, but it transformed the church. People didn't get saved right there and then, but throughout the week, people would come out and say, you know, I, I need to talk to you. Tell me those nine things again, over and over and over again. He says there were a hundred new births, adult births, throughout that ministry in that church. Because sometimes we don't understand, we don't see. The devil wants to make sure that he keeps the blinders on our eyes and telling you, you are okay. You are good enough. Don't worry about it because God is love. Remember, he loved you. He loves you so much. He's rich in mercy. You don't have to change your life. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. That's the evidence. That's the fruit. That's what we produce as believers. Number three, God will lift you up in Christ. 
You see, not only is he rich in mercy, not only has he, uh, has he brought us to this point, and not only we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but in number three, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming life, in the coming age, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And he raised us up in the heavenly places. He raised us up. He brought us to a place where we are now seated with him. If you remember Lazarus, Lazarus was, was raised from the dead. There were three people that were, that were raised from the dead in Jesus' ministry. Lazarus was, was one of them. And when Lazarus was raised from the dead, Jesus said, take those grave clothes off him. Take those clothes off him. He needs to get to work. There's things that he has to do now. Those old grave clothes are no longer part of his being. Problem is for a lot of us that are believers, or at least we think we are, we hold on to these grave clothes like if it's a comfort, it's a, it's my, my it's my bink, as my granddaughter would say, my blankie. It's my binky, you know, and, and, I, and it makes me feel good that I can still hold on to some of my past. Let it go. See, because in, in John chapter 12, Jesus is having dinner. He says, it says, John says this in uh, verses 1 and 2, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and guess what? Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. This is a very important part, beloved. When you recline with Jesus at the table, you have significance. You have been raised up. In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, you have been raised up and brought to a place that is in the heavenlies. You are right now sitting in eternity. Let that sink in for a little bit. You are right now sitting in eternity. And, and when you, when you look at this, this portion, this, this point number three, God will lift you up in Christ Jesus. When he lifts you up and places you there, you are now in eternity. And, and it's hard for me to kind of, how does that work? I'm in eternity right now. Only problem is that I can't see it because I've got this body, this shell that's holding me back. But God says, you're in eternity. You're seated. You are seated. Not you will be seated. And you are seated and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Not you will be seated, but you are seated. And so Lazarus, as Lazarus, he is seated in these heavenly places. Number four, let me go there. God locks us in. This is a way of saying that you're set, you're dialed in, you're confirmed, you are there. Verses uh, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, or so no, no one may boast. This is not something that you do. This is not something that you did by raising your hand. This is not something that you did by coming forward. This is not something that you did by saying the sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer never saved anyone. It is by the grace of God. 
It is by what God has done in your life. And the evidence is that which is being displayed. Some of you are saying, well, that's how I was saved. No, <laughs> you were saved in spite of that method. And if there's genuine repentance in your life, then it starts to show you have the fruit of it, which is great. But it's not any magical formula. The, the call had always been, as a matter of fact, when Peter was preaching the gospel message and 3,000 people got saved, the reason they got saved is because Peter is giving them the word, you've offended a holy God and David and, and the prophets and they brought this word and, and then you killed our Messiah and, and you killed his son. And everything that was written about him was displayed in Jesus Christ. And you murdered him. And the crowd, the crowd gave the altar call. They said, what must we do? They were convinced. They were penetrated. They were convicted by the Holy Spirit to receive that spirit that was knocking on their door. And Peter didn't stand up and say, okay, well, raise your hand. See how many of you guys want to... He didn't count. What he said, repent. This is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is not uh, something that, that he just, you know, maybe it'll happen if you say this prayer or this, this special, uh, ma- these special magical words. You feel the Holy Spirit pricking your heart, cutting you open, waking you up, repent. Repent and believe. I did a funeral on Friday and somebody came forward and said to me, you know, Pastor, I always like what you say. I like speech. I go, my speech? That was a sermon, but I'm okay. Uh, it always makes me feel good. But what are you going to do with it? Oh, I'm going to pray about it. Okay. Why pray about what God is telling you to do right now? Repent. That's the evidence. God locks you in. You're set. You're, you're His. No one can snatch you out of His hand. And God has an eternal purpose to, for us to fulfill, and He will keep us until eternity and he will hold us until that time and we have to walk through this faith walk through this faith that he gives us i know a lot of people read it a little bit different but let me just share with you on how this is supposed to be read because of the the greek verbs and feminine and masculinity verse 8 again for by grace you have been saved through faith and when he says and this not of your own doing he's not he's not going back to the the, the verses before, he's going back to what's right before that. He's talking about the faith. This faith is not of your own doing. This faith is coming from God. That faith cannot uh, refer to, that some people say it cannot refer to faith, but it, it's, it's the way it's structured in the Greek text and the way it's structured and, and how it, it points back to the very uh, next word, uh, for the word before that. And the way it's structured, it says, you know, you're not saved by by works, but it's by God. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. And this not of yourself, this faith has to come from God. Because here's what happens. A dead person says, okay, I'll accept Jesus Christ. And this is how a lot of people look at it. Okay, I'll come forward. I raise my hand. I'll accept Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates you. See, a dead person cannot raise his hand, come forward, or even accept anything from God. A dead person cannot. You see, God has to give you the faith to respond to His Spirit. And this, not of yourself. Salvation cannot be of works. And, you know, we're not asking you to work for it. Sin is what we worked for. For the wages of sin is death. You work for sin, you get paid for sin. But the gift of God, what He gives, is eternal life. 
And so when you understand what, what God is doing, that He loves you and that He He's given you life and He's lifted you up and He's locked you in, then what happens is you start seeing verse 10. God, number, first of all, number five, God works in you. God works in you. For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Workmanship is from the word poema, where we get our English word poem. You are God's masterpiece. You have been created as a masterpiece. Look next door to somebody and say, hey, you're God's masterpiece. Don't, don't, don't say you're a piece of work. Don't say that. You're a piece of work. You are God's masterpiece. God created you as a masterpiece. Stop looking at your life as if you're a failure. Stop looking at your life as you're a nobody. Stop looking at your life as, as if you know that you don't matter. You've been created, you're, you're God's workmanship. For we are His workmanship. And this work, this masterpiece that God is working in you, He created it in you in Christ Jesus. You see, we were predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son. And His Son is not a piece of junk. And His Son is what you are being created, this workmanship, this masterpiece, to become like Jesus. And so, when we think about it in those terms, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And we hold on to the old because that's how Satan keeps us back. That's how this world keeps us entangled with the sin that so easily entangles us as we try to run this race with perseverance, as the writer to the Hebrews would say. This is how it all holds us back. But but God says, no, you're my workmanship. Just work. Produce. How does God do that? How does he work in us? Well, there's three ways that I have there. First of all, through his word. Through His Word. It is important to know His Word. You have to know His Word. His Word is what we have to know. And again, in our study, we've learned five basic truths of God's Word and what we must do with it. Number one, you got to hear it. you got to hear the Word of God. And I pray that today you're hearing it. You're listening to it. Good. Sermon. Uh, on podcasts. On, you know, hear it. On the radio. Hear God's word. You gotta listen to God's word. But you gotta do more than just hear God's word. You've got to read God's word. Read God's word so that it becomes a part of you. This is why I give you outlines so that not only are you hearing it, but you're reading it. The Air Force had done a study. They said that uh, within 72 hours, by Wednesday, uh, you're gonna forget 95% of what I just said. And that's true. Some don't have the mental capacity to remember that much, but most part, in general, you'll, you'll forget over 90% of what you're hearing today. This is why it's important not only to, to read it and to hear it, but to study it. This is why I give you outlines to fill in, because as you fill it in, it becomes a little bit more about you or, or for you. And you take it home and you study this, and I pray that you go over the verses. Let me fact check this pastor, you know? Let me see where he's getting his, his facts at. And go on the internet, look at some of your favorite uh, commentaries and, and, and get into it. And you study it. Study it for yourself. Save these. I, I know people that have saved these for themselves and they go over it throughout the week with other people and they have Bible studies in a sense. But, you know, you want to hear the Word of God. You want to read the Word of God. You want to study the Word of God. You want to memorize the Word of God. We talked about that a little while ago. If it was, if it was important for Jesus to memorize, it should be important for us. How much of what you memorize do you forget? That's a true question, by the way. How much of what you memorize do you forget? Well, none of it, because it's memorized, right? Some of you are saying, I can't memorize. You got your phone numbers memorized. Well, okay, 
That's not always true. I, I, there was a time, there was a time when I could memorize, I had everybody's number memorized. You guys remember that? People ask me, what's your wife's number? Two? She's number two right here. Why not number one? Number one's emergency, you know? ICE, ICE. Oh, I thought that was, my, no, in case of emergency. Uh, but there was a time I would remember numbers and, okay, am I right? Or is it just me? I don't know. You can memorize. I know you can. Here, let me test it. Tell me what comes next. Baby, baby, where did our, you see? Some of you guys know it. <laughs> get up, he's going to get a mic and start singing away. <laughs> Did you hear that? You can memorize. It's just the old nature. It's the, it's the devil himself telling you, you cannot. Don't even attempt it. You're not smart enough. You didn't go to school long enough. You don't have a degree. That's only for the pastor and, and those guys. No, beloved. The moment I became a Christian, when I was brand new, my first year, I got involved in a discipleship program. We were memorizing two verses a week. And I'm being very kind on my students. I, just one verse a week, okay? Do that, please. And, and they're doing okay. And, the, and those that are in the class, they, I, I never thought I could do this. And you know why you can? Because it's important to you. Because it's important to you. That's why you do it. You memorize what's important to you. Some of you have your checking accounts memorized. Some of you guys have, well, you hear the Word of God, read the Word of God, study the Word of God, memorize the Word of God, and meditate on the Word of God. Hear, read, study. And I had them write a hand, draw out a hand, and they put hear, read, study, memorize, and meditate. Meditate on the Word of God. Now, meditate is kind of difficult for some believers because first thing that comes to mind is that Middle Eastern, oh. And it's not that. In the Old Testament, the word that they use for meditation is what the cow used to do. And I shared this with you. And how he would just chew his cud and chew his cud. And you just eat the Word of God and chew on it and chew on it. And you bring it back and you chew on it and you bring it back. And, and you meditate upon what did God's Word say. And you read it and you meditate upon it. And then lastly, you want to apply it. God's Word never changed an individual. God's applied Word changes you. you got to apply it. You got to put it to work. You got to live it out. And I pray that as you go home, as you take these notes and you, you, you hear it, you read it, you, you study it by writing the notes, you meditate or you memorize one of these verses. This is a pretty good verse. You know, I like this verse, Romans 5, 8, but God showed his love for me, personalize it, in that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Make it personal. Romans 5, 8, say the address before and after. And there's one right there in your outlines. God changes us. God works in us through His Word. Number two, or the second point, is through prayer. He works through us through prayer. In Ephesians 3, verses 20 through 21, it says, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to give to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. In this prayer, he's able to, he gives you the ability to do whatever it is that he wants you to do. Prayer doesn't necessarily change your situation. Prayer changes you in that situation. Prayer is agreeing with God. We've shared this before in the past. You know, some people read that ver the verse in Psalms that says, God, God will give you the desires of your heart. That, and so my desires should be what God has given me. No, no, no. You gotta understand is God is gonna give you the desires. 
He's going to give you. He's going to give you his desires for your heart. So when your heart receives what God desires and it's in your heart, then you're going to be doing what God desires. It's as simple as that. Prayer helps us. You see, when we know the word and we see that we hear the word and we read the word, study the word, memorize the word, meditate on the word, when we, when we understand it, it becomes a part of our life. And then so we can pray it when we need to because, because things are going to happen. We need to have God's word and we need to do it in prayer. And the last thing, the third thing is through suffering. God works in us through suffering. First Peter 4.12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Many people are going through trials, going through struggles. Many people are going through things in their life and they're wondering, what's happening to me? Why is this happening? How come? Was what we ask. Why? Why are these things happening to me? What, God? What are you doing? And Peter says, don't, don't, you know, what Peter is talking about, he's talking to a church that is being persecuted, that is being killed, locked up. We have no idea what that, that really means as of yet. And he says, don't be surprised. As a matter of fact, James says, counted, uh, you know, be, be joyful, be counted as a blessing that you're going through these trials and tribulations. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Rejoice, because you're taking part of what Jesus Christ went through himself. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. A lot of the things that you go through, beloved, I I don't even want to say a lot. Some of the things that you go through, it's not really about you. You know? I know you're thinking, what do you mean it's not about? I'm the one, I'm the one experiencing it, Pastor. I mean, of course it's about me. No, it's about what God's going to do through you. See, He's comforting you through these afflictions so that you may be able to comfort somebody else in the same way. I said a little while ago, I don't know anything about cancer, cancer survivors. It's just not part of my family or who I am, my close circle of, of influences. I, I do have people that, in the church. Uh, that used to come to church here now up the hill. And one of the persons is a young lady uh, that, that has gone through this. Her and her husband have been fighting this. They did for a year, over a year. They, they fought this and they went through chemo and all that other stuff. And, and she, she's, you know, she's good. She's good now. And I've called her. I says, what can I say? What can I do? And, and basically she says, you know, really there's not much you can say. Or just continue to pray. I mean, and then she says, but, but I would be willing to talk to that person. Because I've experienced it, and I've gone through it, and I know what it feels like, and I know what she's going through, and I know that she feels, you know, and then she started telling me all this other stuff. Now, I can call the people that I know that are dealing with this. Well, this is what my friend said. Yeah, yeah, but that's what your friend said. You're the pastor. That's what you're supposed to say. But your testimony, beloved, what you've experienced has far more weight. I can preach it, you see, but, but I'm, I'm the paid professional. But you, beloved, are the satisfied customer. You have gone through it, and you know how, you know exactly on how to do it. 
Now, I have hypotheticals, I have ideas, I've read a lot of books and whatnot, but there, there isn't enough education in the world to educate me on what you have gone through or are going through. And see, this is what happens. We, we read God's word, we pray God's word, and then we, we go through struggles, and then the cycle starts all over again. And, and this is how God is using us and how he works in us through his word, through prayer, through suffering, through his word, through prayer. Because when we go through suffering, we automatically go through prayer. I don't know if any of you saw any of the documentaries of uh, 9-11 yesterday. But many people, you know, you can hear them in the background. Some people saying, what do we do? All we got now to do is pray. Everybody is pushed to prayer, to pray, to pray for those who are stuck in there, to pray for the families, to pray. Struggles, always, suffering, always brings us to our knees because we come to a point where we recognize we can't go any further. And this is God working in you. We are his workmanship. He's working all this, all this stuff through us so we can be good workers. And then the last thing I just want to share with you is God is going to work through you. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're not saved by good works, but saved unto good works. John Calvin once wrote, It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. You can't just be justified and be saved and say, okay, I'm done, and leave here. No, there's more that has to be done. As a matter of fact, the reformer, Martin Luther, had a hard time with the book of James. James kept saying, you got, you got faith, I got deeds. I got deeds, and you know, you got to have... Luther saying, what do you mean works? I thought we were saved by grace. Paul is saved, saved by grace, saved by grace. You're saying deeds over here. And, and he was ready to rip his hair out and throw the book of James out the Bible. Until he came to that understanding that what Paul was doing is he was talking to brand new regenerated believers. This is how you're saved. James is talking to the church, the mature church. You're saved? Show me that you're saved. Well, Paul said, I didn't have to work for my salvation. I'm not asking you to work for your salvation. Work out your salvation. You remember that part? Paul said that? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. You work it out not to get saved, not to get more salvation. You work it out to build it up. It's kind of like a bodybuilder. When he built, and he works his body, he doesn't work it to get another body or more body. He works out to keep his body in shape. Or the farmer, the same thing. He works out his, his land to produce more crop. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling so that you can produce more crop. The last part, and I'm just going to go there to the last part where it says 10C, the last verse in your outline. You see, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should talk in them. We should walk in them, excuse me. Not walk in the world as we did before, but walk in what God prepared for you beforehand. See, you don't have to worry about, okay, well, what am I going to do? You just walk in it. Yeah, but I, I don't know what to walk in. You, you know, it, it's very simple. And, and here's, here's a very simple illustration, okay, on how to walk in what God's given you to do. You just put one foot forward. You want, I'm going to do that again. I can take, anybody want to take pictures? You can take a video too. I can show you. Take, take one foot forward. <laughs> I'm being facetious, of course. And, and you put another foot forward. You just, you just go. What is, what is God, what's the inclination in your heart? What is God asking you to do? You, you know, where is he sending you? And, and you got to be careful with this because you're going to get mixed signals. You'll get some signals from the world as well. I had a believer that uh, was in our church 
some time, some time ago. He says, I believe the Lord's called me to be a missionary to the, the uh, indigenous people in Nevada. Uh, well, yeah, Nevada, or I think it was New Mexico. Anyways, I, I, I'm going to be a missionary. They're, oh, well, praise God, man. Yeah, I'm going to be taken off here pretty soon. Really, when are you guys going? What are you guys? Uh, is it just you and your wife? Uh, or you can take your kids? No, it's just me. Just you? How long are you going to be gone? I don't know, as long as God says I don't have to be there anymore. Well, to be honest with you, brother, I don't think that's the way God works. If he's going to send you, he's going to send your wife as well. He doesn't separate you guys. Oh, no, no, I got a firm calling that God is sending me and me alone. I look at his wife, she's saying, <laughs> I don't want to go. I go, okay, well, we, well, brother, this is not, this can't be from God. You can't tell me what's from God and what's not from God, I'm telling you. God does not contradict his word. You need, to, you need to serve your wife. You need to love your wife. You need to treat her. You know, I went through the book of Ephesians. I went through the first piece. You know, long story short, he ended up leaving. He got addicted to drugs, left his family, never came back. Be careful. Yes, it sounds noble, but get some confirmation. Get some confirmation from your church, the church leaders, the pastor, your family. Get some confirmation. And we've had... People that have left because they've gotten confirmation from God and from the church family. This makes sense. Go. We'll, we'll send you on your way. We'll even help provide whatever it is that we can do to get you there. We'll raise up an offering and get confirmation. And some of it might just be locally. And, and study God's word. And this is how you know. And God is not going to ask you to do something that is contrary to his word. He will not ask you to do something that's contrary to his word. But this sounds so good. Yeah, but it's contrary to God's word. And so we work and we walk because God prepared these things beforehand. And here's how you'll know. Number one, like I said, confirmation. You'll get confirmation from, from uh, God's word, first of all. You'll get confirmation from those that are close to you. They may not like it. You know, I don't like the fact that you're going to be going to Afghanistan or whatever. Uh, but I really feel that that's what God's called you to do. There'll be confirmation. God will start to provide ways for you to get there. Do what it is that you have to do. You know, and it could just be as simple as being a part of the ministry team here at North Park. You know, I can do a little bit here. I, can do, I can't do a lot, but I can just do a little bit. See, coming to church and sitting in the pews, as good as it is, you know, and of course, I'd love to have more people here as well. As good as that is, that is not the good works that God is talking about. That's not ministry. That's not ministry to the church. It might be ministry to you. But ministry is what you do for others. How you share your life for others. And uh, as you see, we're short-staffed this morning. We, our brother Ken wasn't able to be here. and We, we, we don't have a musician. And see, I mean, there's things that, that can actually be done. And until we get a musician, you're stuck with me. Sorry about that, guys. But, uh, but <laughs> don't, 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 okay. Anyways. All right. I just lost my eternal reward. There's other things now that we do. Everyone can be a part of this body. And of course, there's some things that we, we want to walk you through. We walk you through membership. We walk, th- we walk you through what we believe, what we do. And we walk you through how it is that we, we do ministry here. And you may notice we're a little bit different than a lot of other churches. Uh, but that's okay. You know, and there's a lot of the churches out there that will probably fit the needs of many people, but we're not asking you to go somewhere else. We'd like for you to grow uh, with us. But again, you were created beforehand to do these good works. 
And many of, you involved, many of you have been involved in ministry already, and you've seen how that has brought fruit. And it's just a matter of being obedient. You were created for good works. Let me ask you to stand. Father in heaven, we want to thank you once again for what you're doing in the hearts of your, your people. There are people here, Lord, that um, need to know that you've created them from the very foundations of the world to be a part of your church. To be a part of what it is that you're doing, not only here at North Park, but worldwide. And I pray, Father, that as we start to look a little bit closer to this, this portion of Scripture, that we recognize that you love us. Those two words, but God, we were dead. We were spiritually dead. We walked in the pattern of this world, following the prince of the air. But God, and we thank you for that love that you displayed on the cross, and you've shown us while we were still sinners that Jesus Christ died for us. You've given us eternal life. And Father, because of that, we will live for eternity. And on this planet, Lord, we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You've placed us. And you lifted us and you raised us up to be seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And because we are saved by grace, saved by faith, saved by Jesus Christ alone, you've locked us in to this glorious richness that we have in store for us. So, Father, as you work in us through your word, through prayer, through suffering, work through us in your church, in our homes, in our world, and work through us, Lord, so that Jesus Christ can be glorified. And I pray, Father, that in the same way that we let our light shine before men so that they may see your good works, so that they may see the good works that you've given us to do, and they bring glory to you. And they bring glory to you, Father. So, Father, we just pray that you continue to show us as a church, as a people. Father, we thank you for your word and for your day that we committed to you. Lead us now and dismiss us now from this place, but never from your presence, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. amen and amen. All right, stick around for some fellowship. I'll be up here for a word of prayer if you'd like.